I mentioned before meditation that I wanted to talk about joy tonight because we get into this place and and it is the you know the buddhist teaching on the noble truths that there is discomfort there is dissatisfaction there is suffering in this world and um we have to acknowledge that it's part of the human condition but buddhism has a uh, a rap about it oftentimes that it's all about suffering life is suffering and you need to study this so you can deal with the suffering and that's not quite true. It's just a recognition of the, uh, the acknowledgement that there is discomfort, that there is suffering. And so much of our interest is in running away from that. We do all kinds of things to get away from the discomfort, to get away from the discomfort of scratching our nose or the discomfort of emotions. Or we've been trained to believe because of our upbringing or whatever that anger is not okay or it's not okay to have particular emotions or feelings and so we stuff them down and um, it causes all kinds of um, discomfort and and it pops out here and we end up becoming passive aggressive or or manipulative or or whatever happens it just unfolds in a in a really uncomfortable unpleasant and sometimes um, damaging way that's true. And that being said, there is also a teaching in the, in, in the foundations of mindfulness, in the fourth foundation of mindfulness, which is the Buddhist teaching on you know, staying present and being aware of what's going on, about the seven factors of awakening. If you're new to these teachings, there are a lot of lists. Don't worry. You don't have to memorize any of them. I'm just spewing them out, but you don't have to. You don't have to remember anything, except some things, um, but not lists. Uh, so, in the the these qualities that uh, the Buddha says are um, really necessary for awakening, they are. There, one of them is joy. So it's like the the Buddha saying you actually have to experience joy. You have to, what I did, I did a talk once to, that said, no, when you're not suffering. And in the mind, it's the reptilian mind, you know, that fight, flight, or freeze. You know, you always have to be aware of the predator. That makes sense, but we don't always have to be in that place. Our brains do have this negativity bias where we're always on the lookout for what's the worst, what's the worst. But what happens is we're, we're kind of tilted so that we, when there is positive, when there is pleasant, when there is joy, when there is happiness, we tend to dismiss it and focus again on the unpleasant. Or we, not all the time, but we, there's this, this real, it's a, it's a neuro, um, okay, my, it's a, a brain function that tends to do that. So we're not doomed. We can retrain the brain. We can retrain the mind. And so there's this book, um, and that's what I want to talk about tonight. There's this book, um, Awakening Joy. It's a, there's a teacher up in Berkeley, James Barras, who is, he developed this, this class a number of years ago. And I haven't taken the class, but I've read the book, and I kind of go th- I, I, I really like a lot of what he says. And um, he was a teacher of mine on – in fact, he was a teacher – when I was on this long retreat, he's the one who said, when it really is painful, that's when it's juicy. And I'm like, no, it's joyful right now. Stop it. Um, 
So, but he is all about joy. And if you if you think of of uh, great spiritual teachers, um, like the Dalai Lama comes to mind. Uh, he has a, a very joyful demeanor. His 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 people are um, Tibet is under uh, Chinese rule, so he can't go back to Tibet. He has um, he's deals with a lot of suffering. People, um, Tibetan people suffer a lot, yet he has this demeanor of joy and, and laughter and, and ease. Oh, another one of the fa- factors of awakening is tranquility. So there's tranquility and ease, equanimity with the world. And you don't get that overnight just by saying, okay, I'm going to be happy all the time. There's a there's there's a, a need to cultivate this. I mean, some people do. Some people spontaneously erupt into joy and happiness. I was not one of them because I always saw. I was the I was the person who always said, "I hope for the wor- best, but expect the worst." That way, I'm never disappointed. I'm never disappointed because if it just goes all to hell, yeah, well, it always goes all to hell. And I always kind of, you know, it, it just kind of unfolds. And so this, this, the whole premise underneath this, and it's true in so many of these teachings, is intention and how we incline the mind. And I talked about wise intention because I just went through the Eightfold Path, which is the Buddhist teachings on really how we, um, how we are in the world and it's the path to the liberation from this discomfort, from this suffering that we crave for ourselves. And intention is a really important part of that, inclining the mind in a way that is beneficial, that's, that's helpful, that's appropriate, not, and wholesome. Wholesome is a word that's used often, but I like beneficial. And, and appropriate that that is wise and skillful, not driven by fear, not driven by by lack, not driven by greed, but driven by really wise and compassionate um, um, uh, goals. And uh, so, I wanted to go through. Um, just the the top ten. It's a ten point program because it's all about lists. Um, so I just wanted to go through these ten points briefly, just to just to throw some stuff your way, and 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 some of it may land, some of it may not land, some of it may be helpful, some of it may not be helpful. Just you know, um, see what see what lands. But oh, one one other thing I wanted to say about intention, which I really like. As we incline the mind, intention leads to action, which leads to habit, which leads to character, which leads to destiny. So it's really how we end up in the world is all about how we start out, the direction we move in. Are we moving away from suffering and discomfort and dissatisfaction or towards it? And it's really a choice, but we can't make a choice unless we pay attention. And that's what mindfulness is all about. That's the underpinning of all this stuff. So the first, the first um, piece of this awakening joy is inclining the mind, as I was just talking about, where we make the decision. And there's that, that great question, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? You know? 
people oftentimes want to be right. Damn it. No matter how miserable they are, because they have this fixed idea that they're stuck in. And they want to be right because there's some sense of satisfaction. But right and happy don't necessarily go together. So if you make the, ch the choice to be happy, then that shifts you into another direction. So that's, um, that's, a, that's an important decision to make as you begin to undertake this path. And then the question you begin to investigate, what gets in the way? You know, and this is where meditation and mindfulness come in, because when you begin to practice, you begin to recognize those stories, and you begin to recognize the stories that always come up. Like, I'm always, you know, whatever your story is, we all have our own individual stories. What's getting in the way of being, you being a happy person? Is that the committee telling you things? You know, you'll never measure up. You're not good enough. You're not young enough, you're not handsome enough, you're not pretty enough, you're not rich enough, you're not smart enough, you're not creative enough, blah, blah, blah. Anybody ever have any of those songs? No, okay, I didn't think so. I knew, you, I knew this group was not, did not have that issue. Um, so, and then you choose joy, you know? The, it's like you recognize the story and go, oh, my story. I'm on the outside looking in. I'm always on the outside looking in. That's, and I'm lonely, and I'm not good enough, and nobody picks me, and I'm, wah, wah, wah. it goes back, it's very deep, it's very, it's very, it's been with me my whole life. And it still shows up, but now I recognize it for what it is. It's like, oh, it's the story again, so the charge isn't there anymore. Or if it is there, I can hold it, because I see it, so you see what gets in the way. The next piece is mindfulness. As I was talking about, you have to be mindful. You have to see what's happening. You have to pay attention. And as I was offering in the meditations instructions, you are present with kind awareness. You, you, you shift this judging, harsh voice in your mind. Because the committee, that committee that's harsh, wants what's best for you. It just goes about it in a very bad, uh, unkind way, thinking that this finger wagging is the way to make you feel okay, and it's not. Kindness, compassion, seeing clearly, being aware, and letting go of that judging voice, and being present for your life, whatever it is. This is what's really important, being present for the good, the seemingly good, as well as the seemingly bad. How do, you, how do you hang with the grief? How do you hang with the loss? How do you hang with the joy? Because some of us have problems with joy. My favorite, Brene Brown, she talks about foreboding joy. We don't allow ourselves to experience the good because we know it's going to end and I don't want to have to suffer when it, I don't want to lose, it's going to be too painful, so I'm just not going to, I'm not going to experience it. You know, trying to stay, um, that's not being present, that's living in the future. Being present is being with the joy in the moment. Even in the midst of sadness, we can be present with the joy. You know, absolutely. So, 
you know, so being present for our lives, really important. Gratitude is a really important part of this. And at the end of the meditation, I invited you to reflect on something that you were grateful for. That is a really powerful, strong, proven way to rewire your brain. Rick Hansen, who I also really love a lot, wrote this book called Buddha's Brain. He's written a number of books, but that was a really powerful one. And he talks about the importance of gratitude. It really has, I can't explain the the neuroscientific details of it, but it has a powerful impact on rewiring your brain. So you begin to shift your brain in a way that, that moves towards gratitude rather than ungrateful, you know. The, and gratitude, I, I learned many, many, many years ago that when you're grateful, it's hard to be cranky. It's really hard to be cranky when you're grateful. When you're cranky, you're not grateful because it just ain't working out right. You're not doing it right. So cultivating gratitude. And part of, the, part of the way we do that are these loving-kindness practices. Loving-kindness and compassion and joy and equanimity. There's a whole book called Loving-Kindness written about these, and gratitude is part of it. Generosity is part of it. Again, what's in the way of you being grateful? All, all of this is, in all of these things, we have to investigate. What's in the way? What gets in the way? What's stopping us from doing what we want to do? That's the wisdom that mindfulness brings. When we begin to investigate, instead of judging, we're discerning. Because judging is, you shouldn't feel this way. Discerning is saying, oh, this is the emotion that's arising. This is the story that's getting in my way. There's a difference there. There's a different flavor to that. Yeah. Like, what, what is it when the story is unclear? I mean, like when you're you're aware. Mm-hmm. Like I, I kind of experienced some of this today. Like I had like some stuff come up today, and I was like, I'm aware there was some stuff there, mm-hmm. and I'm even like presently still trying to figure out what the hell this stuff is. Mm-hmm. Like my mind's all over the place. I know there's something. I just can't can't figure it out. But I'm present. Mm-hmm. I'm aware. I understand there's some stuff that's coming up. But I just yeah necessarily identify the emotion, the thoughts, the the story. I, it's, it's, right. It's very convoluted right now. For yeah, that's thank you for that. That's really common. That when you can you can't identify the story. What do you do? You don't always get to identify the story. You know, sometimes it takes time. And it takes practice. That's what we have this tendency to get into the instant result. I want to know now, and if I meditate hard enough, maybe I'll get the answer. And that retreat sucked because I didn't learn anything that will help me, (laughs) you know, when we get judgy about it. Instead of recognizing, like, saying, oh, there's a block here. I'm not really clear on what it is, but can I come back to the present? And I see that something is stopping me from doing X, Y, or Z or not doing X, Y, or Z. And can you bring yourself back to the present and really be with whatever's right here? Staying out of the story. You know, we stay out of the story. 
recognizing that you can just say, oh, there's a story going on. I don't know what it is. I'm going to let it go and come back to what's happening right here, right now. Is there an emotion, is there a sensation in your body that you can check in with, like, and connect to? Like there's this, there's a tightness in your chest or, or a heaviness in your belly. That's a, that's a touchstone. And sometimes that's, that's beneath the story. That you, when you really make the effort, something arises that wasn't even in your storyline. But it takes a willingness to let go of that and stop trying to figure it out. Because figuring it out will just get you in that hamster wheel. And it's oftentimes a, a fruitless endeavor. So it's just if you're not ha- if it's not clear, don't worry about it. Yeah. Let it go. You. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you. Um, so gratitude important. The next piece: finding joy in difficult times, even when it sucks. Don't say no to the moment. I, so often we're in the midst of difficulties. And when there's something joyful that's happening, our mind a lot of times says, oh, no, I'm not allowed to experience that because I should be in this, this place of gravitas. This is the, the unpleasant. This is what I saying, the unpleasant, the difficult takes precedence over the joyful. Somehow we stack rank these emotions and difficult takes precedence. And that's, you know what, you know, I, I've told this a million times, but years ago when my brother passed away, um, we were, you know, when I was back East and we had the, the funeral in the morning and it, of course it was terribly sad. He was so young and had young children. And then in the evening, we were sitting around in the backyard laughing our asses off, telling stories. And I remember being aware and saying, am I a bad sister because I'm laughing? No, that was what was true in the moment. That's what's true in the moment. And all beings have this, all humans have this ability to see, you know, to when you can see beauty in the midst of ugliness because you're so present for what's arising. You don't say no to right here, right now. I can speak. You sure can. Um, I think that that, to answer that when you're sitting with something like a death or Mm -hmm. your own mortality that's so serious, and there were so many times I'm a cancer survivor that I um, would find that laughter and I'd think, what the hell am I? I mean, like, I'm literally, like, I might be dead soon. And I think it was that. It's the line, I wrote a book about it, the line where the urgency of life becomes a beautifully sharp lens because you may have lost your brother or I might be losing my life, but you realize, God, this is what I got right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you might question it, but then later you go, I'm going with it because I don't know if I'm going to have it tomorrow. And I think the other thing I wanted to point out was certainly being a cancer patient, how many people would tell me that I had to be positive. <laughs> and I, I, at one point, I'd say, "Is this to make you comfortable or to make me comfortable?" Because you know, I'll, I'm going to be authentic about what I'm going through. And some days, it's 
positive and other days it sucks like you can't believe it and I'm not going to make you comfortable because I'm in fear you know and so it kind of set back and um, you know I I had to explain to someone that to make a statement to someone who's that ill is or someone maybe who's that depressed or whatever it's shameful you're shaming the person mm -hmm. you know you're not giving them I mean if they're being you know they're 10 years out and clear of cancer and still like acting like a victim. <laughs> but I mean, it, well, they're going through it or maybe shortly after and there's fear of reoccurrence or whatever, you know, it's like be careful when you tell someone what they have to be to make you feel comfortable. Yeah. Yeah. Thank okay. you. There's my TED talk. Thanks for your TED talk. Thank you. Well, when I was in chaplaincy training, that's what they teach you when you when you you meet people where they are and you leave your agenda at the door. Absolutely, it's about meeting people where they are and allowing them to have their experience. So, just as you allow others to have their experiences, you allow yourself to have your own experience. So, even in the midst of you know crap. There can be joy. So allow it. Don't deny the reality of your experience. That's what not mind. That's what shutting it off is. That's when we're not, no, I will not allow reality. The reality is this is yummy ice cream. No, I can't enjoy it. <laughs> so you have to really be present. Yeah. So what I do uh, in circumstances where things are not going my way or I'm not happy or something like that, which brings me joy, is I say to myself with a smile, oh, it's going to soon be over, thank God. Mm -hmm. You know, and it always puts a, I'm always so much happier when I know that it's soon going to be over, even though I don't know when it's going to be over, but it'll soon be over. Everything's impermanent. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. Um, you know, and, 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 um, yeah, we stay open to everything that we are all, I have a note here, it's like the five remembrances, which is that we are all of the nature to grow old, to get sick, to die. Everything we have will be taken from us. All we have are our actions. Pleasant, but true. Mm -hmm. So it's not if, it's when. So just to re recognize that. And then there's this wonderful teaching I've talked about, the second arrow. Well, there's the experience of the emotion that's unpleasant, and then it's our our level of judging and saying, no, why me, and blah, 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 blah. So anyway, um, another way to cultivate joy is what he calls the, bl the bliss. Actually, he, it's a quote from the Buddha, the bliss of blamelessness, blamelessness, living with integrity, living in a way where we don't cause damage. Where we we're kind with our speech, where we don't take what's not offered, where we're where we're we're careful with our sexuality, where we are we make our living through a, a way that's wholesome and beneficial, not you know destructive, and really to have that um, that integrity is is really a place where we're not our behavior doesn't gnaw at us. It's so important. It's wise action. You know, it talks about wise action, and I have a page number. Is this, did I even put a thing there? Yes. Um, yeah, the Buddha said, for one who leads a virtuous life, it's a natural law that remorse will not arise. For one free of remorse, 
it is a natural law that gladness will arise. For one who is glad at heart, it is natural, it's a natural law that joy will arise. For if you lead a virtuous life, if you live with integrity, the result is joy. Because there's a lightness. You know, there's, a fa- there's this solid foundation that you can rest on. No one can get you. Um, you know, and, and, and the flip side of that is to be able to own what you do do. It's like, oh, I actually, you know, was, was, was um, a bit selfish yesterday or I actually did take something that wasn't freely offered. And you're honest and open and acknowledge it so that people can't diminish you. You can't be diminished by others because there's this owning up and personal accountability. This is a, this is a practice of, of personal responsibility and accountability. It's really important. Um, so uh, then there's the joy of letting go. And I think I talked about this last week. I remember I talk about letting go all the time because it's really all about letting go. Let go of our attachment. If it's our clinging that causes suffering, then letting go is the antidote to that. Let go, let go, let go. Um, you know, the Dalai Lama, there's a, there's a story in here about the Dalai Lama, which is really great. He was at a, it was a, at a, a you know, it was a conference or teaching something. He was in Los Angeles, and and wherever the the the, the meetings were being held, it was right next to a le- electronic store. And he's really into gadgets, so he would go into this electronic store or look in the window every day. He said by the end of the week, he wanted tons of things, and he didn't even know what they were for, because we just get caught up in this clinging. We uh, something comes into our eye, an idea happens. You know, I I. I told this story before. I have a, I have a, I love my little Miata. It's a, it's a, it's what, a 2006, so it's 13 years old. But I love it. It's great. I got it a couple of years ago. And I parked, pulled into this uh, supermarket and I parked next to a guy who had a brand new Miata. And he was there and he said, Oh, nice car. And I go, Oh, your car is really nice. And I was looking at it, all the bells and whistles, blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, I wonder how much they cost. I wonder what the payments would be, blah, blah, blah. I would love to. And immediately all this craving arises. And that happens so so often. Joseph Goldstein, who's a teacher, he talks about it as, I can't remember the exact phrase, but it's something like catalog craving. You start going through a catalog or start browsing the web, and all of a sudden you want all these things. That's what marketers are doing. You know, all those ads that show up in your feed. Oh yeah, I want that. I want that. And I got I got two kittens a couple of weeks ago. <gasps> I've had them two weeks today. Um, and all of a sudden, and I'm so I'm posting a lot of kittens hashtag kitten stuff. All of a sudden, there's all these people writing me. You like kittens? Look at my web. Buy my stuff. And I'm like, no. So, but it's like it's like yes, more things for kittens. But that it's so easy when we're not paying attention. When we're not paying attention. So, so advertising now uh-huh. is like the bad voice in our head is the committee yeah. just going, oh, yeah, just repeating over and over again. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. So pay, but that's why if you pay attention, it's like it doesn't have an impact. It doesn't have an impact. Um, so we let go of stuff. We let go of our story of you're not good enough. Or it has to look this way. If your life doesn't look this way, then you're a loser. I'm sure, I say this all the time, all of us should be further along in our lives than we are now. 
right? I'm sure. That's bogus. That's just made up crap. Just made up crap. Let go of that story and practice generosity. That's a way of letting go. And not just financial generosity, generosity of time, you know, generosity of heart, generosity of spirit. Listening to other people is an act of generosity. If you really hear people, that's a real tremendous act of generosity and letting go. Be with people when you're really with them. Um, oh, here's a tough one. The sweetness of loving ourselves. I didn't hear any groans. No, good. You're all, you're all healthy. Good. Um, really practice being, being kind to ourselves. Anybody here do loving kindness practice for yourself? Easy? No. It, it gets easier, but it can be really difficult. So it, you have to practice that. You have to practice that. May I be happy. May I be healthy. I mentioned that in the meditation. There's no one anywhere more worthy of love than you. Period. No one. No one less worthy. No one more worthy. And, and when you say, may all beings be happy, you're included in that. I'm included in that. So really cultivate this, this, this sense of loving kindness for ourselves. And in that is forgiveness. There's a, there's a practice of forgiveness that's really necessary a lot of times when we bring, start bringing for, um, loving kindness and compassion to ourselves. Really being willing to drop that rock. That's what I was talking about last week, that dropping the rock, dropping the stone, this baggage that we carry with us, that we don't allow ourselves, we don't cut ourselves any slack. It's really important to cut ourselves slack. The joy of loving others, again, cultivating loving kindness for people we love, difficult people, really important, really important. And we don't start with the most difficult person who abused us horribly in our lives. We start with that annoying neighbor, you know, the one that's, that's just a little bit because we have to practice, you know, because be, all of us are driven in some way, shape or form by craving, by greed, by aversion of, the line, not uh, fear, losing something we have, not getting something we want. Bottom line, that drives us, absolutely drives us. That drives us to cling, it drives us to push away. And if we can recognize that, and that's what drives others. I mean, there's a tremendous amount of, of suffering that's caused by people who are just stuck in that cycle of greed and hatred. All this horrific stuff that's going on all over the world, the damage that's being caused. We don't forgive the actions, but we cultivate a forgiveness for the people because they are suffering. They are driven by the same greed, hatred, and de delusion. And they're de exactly, they're deluded. They don't see the damage they're causing. They don't see the connection between all of us. So there's this joy, this cultivate the joy of loving others, um, letting go of the agenda like Kat was talking about, you know, greeting people, seeing people where they are, setting boundaries. It's not about being a doormat and practicing idiot compassion. Like, yeah, okay, I love you. You can walk all over me. It's not that. It's being really solid in where we stand and recognizing that we do have boundaries and saying, you know, what you're doing is not okay. I love you and you can never come around here again. Go away. You vitamin into your heart, but not into your home. 
So really being clear that there's a distinction in that, that you cultivate loving kindness for the people, not necessarily their actions. And I have here a note of we, we try and live with an undefended heart where we don't have defenses, <coughs> where we're not trying to hide from the reality of what's going on. Because it, it, in order to, to, to turn towards it, we have to really be willing to just feel it. And then compassion, cultivating compassion, which also, again, um, is, a, is, a, is a training, being willing to be with the suffering. There's that, there's that um, poem called The Mountain. Is it The Mountain or The Promise? Araya Mountain Dancer is the author. And I think it's called, the, is it the, called The Promise? I can't remember. It's like an ode. Yeah, it's something like that. But, you know, it's, um, it's really powerful. And it talks about, I don't care what, you know, who you are. I'm just paraphrasing. But, you know, how do you, how do you will you be there in the middle of the night, you know, in, in the pain and the suffering? How do you show up? when the shit hits the fan, not when everything's going groovy and you have, you know, you have an Oscar and an Emmy. You, what, what's it when you get a Tony and Oscar? EGOT. EGOT, yeah. Do you have an EGOT? Then you're okay. No, because it it's never comes from out there. It comes from, in, in, it's an internal job. Um, so having, how do you um, keep your heart open in the face of suffering? The Dalai Lama, I mentioned him before. He has an open heart and compassion. Thich Nhat Hanh, all these great leaders who are really, really highly compassionate. Um, I don't want to just stick with Buddhists, but like Thomas Merton is a, is a wise man. And, and all these, there's, there's people from various traditions who are really wise and, and um, cultivate a deep spirituality who can be with the suffering. You know, be willing and be willing to turn towards it and go into it. And take action. Take action, not just go, I'm so sorry, but actually say, okay, what can I do? Is there anything I can do? Be willing to end suffering where they see it. And then finally, there's the joy of being, to relax the mind. You know, just to, there's a, there's a practice, I, I facilitate a year to live group. A few of the people in this room have done that. They've died and been reborn. Um, and, uh, uh, I facilitate a year to live group and there's a, there's a practice in there called, um, no, I can't even remember it. Um, uh, just being, you know, just, um, let go of the doing and just relax into being, just relax in being, just be, just be my friend, a friend of mine used to say, stop being a human doing and be a human being. Just breathe, just be present, be breathing in, breathing out, breathing in, breathing out, letting go of the, the agenda, letting go of the must-haves, letting go of the this. Just what is this? Just being it right now, what is this? What is this? That's that cultivation of equanimity, that being balanced with whatever's arising, not being knocked over. What are those weeble wobbles? You can knock them, they bend, but they don't fall, fall down. Yeah, it's, it's like you're just totally balanced. You don't fall down, you know? And then recognizing the interconnection, what Thich Nhat Hanh calls interbeing. And he says, like, if you look at this piece of paper, you should not just see this piece of paper, but you should see the cloud from which the rain falls and the forest which grows in the earth and because of the rain 
and the logger who logs the forest and then the people who create the paper and then the truckers who bring the paper to the store and then the people who work in the store where you buy the paper. We're all connected. It's that myth that we're all in this by ourselves. And that enables us to treat other people like crap when we create your two-dimensional image, you know? It's really important to see that interconnectivity. Then it's harder to do, to to um, hurt other people. So um, that is my five cents. That it's not. It's more than two cents tonight. I'm giving you five cents. 